The following is a live sermon recording from Trinity Grace Church, Park Slope. It contains a brief account of sexual abuse that might be particularly difficult for some. Listener discretion is advised. We have the privilege this morning of having uh, a friend with us, Edwin Colon. Uh, if you don't know Edwin, he is the pastor and co-founder of Recovery House of Worship. And uh, he began, God gave him a ministry that began by caring for people in desperate situations, and it's just grown deep and wide over the years. Edwin is an anchor in uh, the faith community here in Brooklyn and has been such a good friend to our church. So uh, we're so happy to have you, Edwin, and uh, I ask you guys to uh, welcome him as he comes in just a moment. But now uh, we're going to have Emily come and read our teaching text for today. Our um, teaching text for this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4 and verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Wow. Yeah, super grateful to be here. I am the senior pastor of the Recovery House of Worship. Um, the community that we uh, invest our lives in are, um, are people who come from an addicted background, who come from homelessness, broken, um, brokenness and and incarceration, uh, you know, just like this church. And so, um, oh, it's not like that here? No? All right, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, um, so I am super thrilled to be with you. I am super nervous as well. So I'm going to pray. I know we've prayed a bunch, but I'm going to pray more for me than for you. And going to ask Jesus that he would speak to us deeply. And let me tell you why. Because today, as we continue on in this series uh, about faithfulness, uh, we're going to talk about God's faithfulness during suffering. And I don't know about you, but in my suffering, the last thing I think about is God's faithfulness. In my suffering, I tend to drift off into other thoughts. And so we're going to talk about that and what the scriptures speak about when it talks about God's faithfulness in the midst of suffering. Now, some of you are in suffering right now. Super glad you came today. Um, I think that the the word of God is gonna to speak to us in a really powerful way. I'm not that good of a preacher, but the, God's word is really, really, really powerful. And I think he'll speak to you. Um, some of you have just recently come out of suffering, and so it'll be helpful to be able to kind of reflect and sort of assess what that suffering was about. I think this will be helpful as well for you. And some of you, some of you are like riding a super wave, a super wonderful time, and I can just, I can just um, let you know that, um, that pain is to come, that life is full of pain. If you're a Christian or a non-Christian, I'm glad you're here, because the pain um, that we go through doesn't matter if you're super spiritual or, you ha or you're not spiritual at all. Doesn't matter what faith you come from. Doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey. Suffering is gonna affect us all. And so 
with that in mind, I'm gonna ask Jesus to give us a heart. Now, listen, I even wore skinny jeans for you, so I want you to know that I'm trying really hard to fit into this place, okay? But I know, I know, I know that um, I'm not as nearly as good a preacher as, as Pastor Caleb or the, some of the preachers that you've uh, discussed, and that can be a distraction, but I want you to know that God's word will speak deeply to your hearts. And I'm just begging Jesus because we're all gonna need um, this message at one point or another. So would you pray with me? Jesus, you are glorious and there's no one like you. And so right now, Lord, we come before you because you are wonderful and glorious and good. And so we ask God that you would, in a powerful way, speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would remove any distraction that I might give to your word and that you would speak powerfully to our hearts, drawing us to yourself, making us love you, worship the Father, and live in the Spirit, helping us to see you as high and lifted up. Meet us. Meet us powerfully today. For we do pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So 2007 to 2009, that period of two years, were the hardest years of my life. They were like, like no close second. They were the most difficult. And if you knew my life, you would understand how profound a statement that was. I grew up with a uh, paranoid schizophrenic for a mom. My father was an alcoholic. We lived in what you would call a crack house. Um, it was a really tough upbringing. I regularly got beaten until blood came out of me. It was, I, I started to use drugs when I was 11 years old to take the pain away. And it did not get better. By the way, clue, right? I've never heard anybody say, you know, me and the missus were having a really difficult time. But and then I started to smoke crack and everything got better. Like, I've never heard that, right? Like, you know, you know, the kids were just driving me crazy, but then I started to drink, and whoo, everything just got so much better. It never makes anything better, and that might be the very reason why you came to church today. God just needed you to hear that, that that is super important. Don't go to the alcohol or drink. Okay, but I did at 11 years old. It wasn't a good idea, and it really led me down a path of horror and pain and to do things that... I said yes to. You ever, you ever said yes to something you really wanted to say no to, but you were desperate? Yeah, I did that a lot. Cracked my soul, man. It's painful. But 2007 to 2009 were the toughest um, in all my life. Um, and uh, at that time, four really major things affected my soul. One was that my father packed up everything that he had, and he moved to the Dominican Republic, which was confusing because we're Puerto Rican. And so <laughs> that was the first confusing piece. The second confusing piece was that he did not tell us, none of his children. And it was like, I don't know if you've had like a, an estranged relationship with your parents, but I've had one with my dad. And it felt like just another nail in the coffin of our relationship 
I felt like he died. It was painful. And I didn't know where to take that because, I mean, he's my dad for, you know, whatever you want to say and, you know, whatever we could say about his habits and some of the things that he did, he's my dad. And it just felt like a nail in the coffin and I didn't know how to respond to that emotionally. I, I wasn't mature enough emotionally to figure out how to respond to that. The next uh, thing that happened is that somebody stole my computer, my laptop. And you got to understand, my laptop is not like your laptop. You know how like your laptop could cut paper because it's so thin and skinny and sleek and all that other stuff? My laptop had buttons missing, cracks going through the screen, but it was my laptop and I had memorized what those buttons meant um, that had popped off. And someone stole it, must have gotten $5 for it. I can't imagine getting more than that. And... And all of my sermons, all of the books that I was going to write, all of the plans that I had for the church were in that laptop. I've never gone back to writing ever again. And that happened like in 2007 to 2009. It's been a while. But you ever have something like that just take all the wind out of your sails and you're not able to get back? That happened. And then also between 2007 and 2009, my mother, who I just told you was, is a paranoid schizophrenic and also... Um, bipolar, um, she uh, had a stroke. And uh, by God's grace, she survived. And they took her to rehabilitation, physical rehabilitation, but they never gave her the mental part of her medication. And I didn't know that. So I would visit her. And it was like nine years old all over again, her just going off. And like I did, again, just didn't have the emotion. It was stressful. And then at that exact time, while they stole my computer, my father had left, my mother had gotten the stroke. In that same two-year period, in that same, actually, this all started in 2007. All four th- things happened in 2007. Um, we became, my family and I, I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Liz. She is way better than I deserve. I mean, she is the prettiest woman in any room. She's wonderful. She reveals God's love for me on a daily basis. She's precious. Well, I also have five children, but we had four at the time. Um, and uh, we became homeless. We became homeless. Not like jumping from bed to bed. I'm talking about like real homeless. Like in our church, we have a place where the homeless sleep. We're in that place. We were homeless serving the homeless. Homeless cooking with the homeless. Homeless eating with the homeless, homeless, bathing with the homeless, homeless, getting food with the homeless, like homeless. There was two years I had to lock my, my daughters were in a room. I had to put them all in a room and I had to give them like a, it wasn't a bucket, but you could think of it as a bucket. And I had to lock the door. You know, those locks that you can, you, ha- you need to key both inside and out. I had to lock it because I couldn't, we, we felt a deep call. My wife and I felt a deep call to minister to the homeless people, but we just didn't know everybody's background, and we couldn't take a risk with the kids. So I had to double lock their, their uh, little room that they stayed in and told them, here's a bucket. If you need to go to the bathroom, go, use the bucket, but you can't go outside because I couldn't risk them coming back in, forgetting to lock it, and something really terrible happening. So that two years was breathtaking to me. I, I couldn't believe, like, I mean, I literally had to watch my wife go to sleep 
tears in her eyes every night, feeling a desperate call from God to minister to the poor and the marginalized, but feeling the pain of the cost of that. And I got to watch her. And it still gets me emotional today to think about it, but I got to watch her just cry herself to sleep every night. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, not for a year. For like 700 days. And in the midst of that, it was just, you know, having to minister to people and love on them and tell them how good God is and and believe it and fight for joy. Because sometimes you have to fight for joy. But here's what I know. No matter what room I've ever preached in, here's what I know. I'm not the only one who's gone through suffering. I bet, I bet, if I took this microphone and I passed it to the person sitting in your seat, you would be able to tell me about a season that was really difficult. You would be able to tell me about the time where the marriage, you weren't sure if it was going to survive. Maybe you're in that season right now. I'm super glad you're here. And God is not done with you yet. Maybe it was a season where your children were just going astray and you felt the pain of that. And you were just tormented by their poor decisions. Maybe, maybe it was scholastic, like you were just doing everything you knew how to do. You were studying, you were working hard, you weren't cutting corners, and you were just, but you weren't getting the results that you wanted. Maybe for you, it was a working situation, a career issue, where you're doing the best you can, but it seems like every door is being slammed in your face. Maybe for you, the doctor has given you news that you weren't expecting and certainly weren't welcoming. I don't know. I don't know where you are. But I know that every one of us will go through suffering, whether we love Jesus or don't love Jesus. And we're going to need a strategy to go through suffering if we're going to survive it. Because there's a way to go through suffering that's more painful than the normal suffering that you're going through, as if anything could be normal suffering. And so, God is so good that he gave us his word. And he said, in his word, there... Literally, on the subject that we're going to talk today about how God is with us in suffering, I almost could have just blindly turned and pointed. Because God knows that you and I are going to go through suffering. He knows your marriage. He knows about your kids. He knows about your health. He knows about your career. He knows about your hopes and aspirations that get dashed across the rocks of reality. He knows about that. And in the midst of that, God says, Let me show you something. Let me remind you of something. I'm not going to leave you out on the lurch. I'm not going to leave you to your own devices. I'm going to let you know how to get through suffering. And so if it's okay, we're going to look at the text that, um, that the precious sister just read which is so cool. I I hope that she can come to my church with me because I've never had a British person like read a text before me. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, uh, that would definitely get me street cred in my neighborhood. I'd be like, yo, my peeps come from Britain, yo. 
No, not really. Um, so here's the problem with suffering. Before we get to the actual text, let me just tell you some hiccups or some difficulties. The problem with suffering is that it creates these sort of two defaults or two, there's two things that we move towards when we suffer. The first is self-centeredness. You know that suffering makes you self-centered. I bet you never thought about that, but it does. It absolutely does. Think about this, right? You have a headache. Have you, anybody here ever had a headache? You could play along with this one. Raise your hand if you've ever had a headache. Okay, cool. Okay, in my church, I get a lot more response, okay? So if you could just respond with a hallelujah or an amen or anything like that, it will be just fine. Okay, it's funny because I told Caleb, I have skinny jeans friends, which is Caleb, and I have purple suit friends, which is me, right? And I, I, I preach in purple suit churches, so you skinny jeans folks make me nervous. I honestly am super... I'm super glad I had kids before skinny jeans came out because I can't imagine uh, uh, what you would do. I mean, this is crazy. This is like, it's terrible. All right. It's not comfortable at all. Guys, can I get an amen? Yeah. For fashion, what we do, it's terrible. All right. There are two, there's sort of like these two defaults of our soul. There's two things that we lean towards. There's two ways we go when we suffer. One is self-centeredness. And like, you know, you've, you've already admitted that you've had a headache before. And what happens when you have a headache? Any little sound, light in the room, right? Someone can walk in the room, like, you know, a person that you love, and they could just like raise the curtain or something like, or, you know, just part the curtain. And you're like, ah, shut that off. What are you, crazy? And it's like, oh gosh, I didn't know. Like, Why? Because pain makes us focus on ourselves. It makes us upset that everybody else doesn't acknowledge or understand the pain that we're going through. And it certainly builds a case against God. In fact, every time some great tragedy comes, you can see people say, where was God when this happened? Now, in the scope of this sermon, there's a good answer, by the way. There's a fantastic answer. If you stick, a lot, stick around TGC long enough, you'll get the answer to that question. And hopefully we'll address it a little bit, but where is God? You get self-centered. Self-centered as opposed to God-centered. Self-centered as opposed to God-centered. We don't see how God is working in our lives, how he's doing this for our benefit, how he's building in us something that looks a little bit more like Jesus. But we get self-centered. That's the first um, that's the first sort of default. The second default is that we get narrow. Do you know what I mean by narrow? We get like narrow-minded. We think that if we cannot, and I know I'm speaking in generalities, but I'm telling you, I deal with human suffering on a really massive scale. Like the people who come to our church are not people who are just like, you know, looking for a church and, you know, things like that. You know, they're not, that's not them. They're coming because we're the last house on the block. They're either gonna, they're either gonna find hope in Christ or they're gonna commit suicide or something worse. Like it's, so I deal with a great deal of suffering and I've discovered in my little corner of the world and maybe again, uh, maybe not the demographic, but maybe you'll see that this is a universal thing in humanity that when, when people suffer, I've noticed 
they become narrow-minded in this. They think that if they can't think of a good reason why God would allow the suffering in their lives, then there therefore cannot be a good reason why God would allow their suffering. In other words, they get narrow-minded as opposed to open-minded. Open-minded with what God could be doing in their lives. So let's see if we can address those two things as we look at the text. I believe it's right here in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Let me just give you a suggestion. Would you just memorize this text? Just memorize the text. This text has been a blessing to me. And it's not been a text because it's not been a text that's been a blessing to me because it's been in a book folded somewhere else, but because God put it in my heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Let's look at that first part. Therefore, the reason therefore, so I tell this to my church, you know this already, but whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, why is the therefore therefore, right? And it's just like a Bible study technique. Whenever you see so that, therefore, there's a reason, something that happened before, And so Paul is talking about all the suffering that he's going through. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's one who is called out to do the will of God. God is with him and is for him. God is the wind beneath his wings. God is the one who's going to empower him to do what God has called him to do. And Paul is suffering like you and me have no idea. He has been shipwrecked. He's been beaten several times. Not in spite of the gospel, but because he's proclaiming the God. In other words, because he's doing God's very will. Anybody who's ever said that the um, safest place on earth is in the center of God's will has never been in the center of God's will. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm in the center of God's will. And duele, hurts. It's painful. Difficult. I can't go into the times of my deep depressions where I think I'm going to suffocate. Beloved, Paul, who is called by God, explains to us just before this verse, in the, first, in the 15 verses before, he goes things like, I'm pressed. We've been pressed. In other words, we've been getting pressed, but we're not crushed. We've experienced persecution, people talking bad about us, people um, um, saying lies about us, people harming us, persecuted, not abandoned. We've been given blows after blows. We've been stricken down, but not destroyed. You see, Paul, the man who's writing these words, has gone through the kind of suffering that makes my 2007, 2009 experience sound like a walk in the park. And he says, therefore, since the suffering is inevitable, since the suffering is true, since what I've gone through is real and I'm explaining to you, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, it's important here where he says we do not lose heart. He's not exclusively meaning just the apostles, you know, like the apostles who experienced all this difficulty and pain and suffering. He goes, therefore, we do not lose heart. And I, I, I think, and 
and not just me, just like really, really, really smart theologians who study the Bible would agree that the we there is those who are going to read Paul's words, those who are in the body of Christ, who are in the family of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we, you and me, don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. In other words, even though on the outside, all the evidence is that we are wasting away, that we're dying. We, matter of fact, when we see wasting away, we get in denial about it. When we see the outward effects of our wasting away, we get in denial. I have so many friends who I go, hey, you know, maybe we should go to the doctor and get an HIV test, you know, you were using for a long time. No, 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 no. I can't go. But bro, the, the worst thing has happened. If you got it, it's already happened. Let's start moving. No, 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 no. Even in the frivolous, like, you know, like when you, you know, you get older, you get some wrinkles, Right? I'm not going to ask. I was going to, I'm not doing it. I was going to ask, don't answer. Don't answer. Don't lift your hand. Don't say it. But ladies, how many of you decided to put a tint, a dye in your hair to cover up the fact that you're wasting away? And I'm with you, ladies. Let me tell you why. This hair took me 20 minutes to try to cover up as many bald spots as possible. I'm not, I don't have this hairstyle because I think it's cool. I have it because it covers up as much bald spots as I can possibly cover up. I am wasting away. I'm reminded about that every time I look in the mirror. In fact, I've been more serious about looking, you know, like the, now they have the, on the trains, they have the medicines to not lose your hair. And they go, oh, don't worry, you're just going to be impotent and your liver is going to be affected. I'm like, cool beans, good trade-off. I don't care. I'll take it. Because I really want to keep my hair, right? And so, but that's just evidence that we are wasting away. And, you know, there's more serious stuff than that, right? Like there's the doctor saying cancer. See, outwardly we're wasting away. There's no denying that. There's no denying that there are things that happen outside of us that are crushing and debilitating and painful. Outwardly. We are being, um, in, uh, outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This is money, folks. This is money. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, this church was created in large part to be able to make an easy ramp or a, not an easy ramp, maybe that's not the right uh, phrase, but just to make it to make Christianity reasonable to you. And so if you're here and you're not sure, you're kicking the Christian tires, you're not sure, maybe you came because a girlfriend invited you or your husband said, come on, or whatever it is. Not everybody comes to church to worship Jesus, which is cool. A lot of people come to my church because, you know, there are some ladies there and they go, oh, I can catch a girlfriend or something like that. And I don't care why you're here. Here's my point. If you don't know Jesus, this is a resource that you don't have. The, only the first half of that sentence is true. Outwardly, you are wasting away. If you don't know Jesus, you're not being renewed day by day. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you've, you know, this is America, so you probably know 
um, that God is Trinity, right? He's Father, Son, or at least you heard of that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't heard of that. That's cool. But God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can't go into the explanation of that right now. Ask one of the mainstays around here, anybody you saw up front, and they'll help to explain it to you, or as much as one can. Um, But the point is, is that there's God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, who goes about the work of renewing us day by day. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have that promise. Come to Jesus. What are you waiting for? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I just want to say, if you hadn't read or if I didn't tell you about the 15 verses before this, you would almost be insulted with the Bible. Because if you're really thoughtful about this, it's, it's, it's insulting. Whenever I go through suffering and anybody says, oh, don't worry. Have you ever been treated glibly in your suffering? Like people go up to you and say something like, don't worry, this too shall pass. Or, you know, they, they'll say like, you'll, you'll get through it. You know, I, I, I don't know. I have an impulse to punch people in the face <laughs> in moments like that. I just, it's, it's offensive because you're treating lightly something that's really heavy in my life. And it seems at first glance like the Bible is doing the same thing. And the Bible is saying, for our light and momentary trouble. You go, for real? Light and momentary? Paul, you obviously don't know suffering except when you hear about the first 15 verses that we talked about that he went through. Light and momentary. They are light and momentary. In what way? Because let me just say, your suffering, God does not treat glibly. If you want the greatest picture of how God treats your suffering, you'll have to look to the suffering that he volunteered for. God himself saw your suffering and came from heaven to earth to live the life that you should have lived but you have not and die the death that you deserve to die because we are separated from God but don't have to. Jesus himself steps into our suffering. God in a human body takes on our suffering. And if you want to see how deep and profound any sin that's harmed you, any sin that you've created, any suffering that you've gone through, if you want to see how profound that is, just look to how seriously God takes it by looking to Jesus on the cross. So we know that God doesn't think that sin or suffering is light in that sense. But they say, but the the scripture is speaking something true and saying that it is light and momentary in comparison to what happens, in comparison to the glory that happens, not only within us, but also through us. So let's look at it. For our light and momentary trouble, so think of those two words, light and momentary, and they're juxtaposed between the next uh, two words that are achieving for us an eternal glory as opposed to momentary. So our suffering is short in comparison to eternal glory. And it's light in comparison to the glory that outweighs them all. 
it's, you know what it's like, right? Um, uh, if you have a kid, if you've never experienced this, you know, you have a kid um, and you lose them for a second. There's nothing like that pain. Like, the, the, like it, it feels like your heart is being torn by like bear claws. It's just impossible to describe. Only, the only thing that feels more intense than that is the moment that you find them. Like your heart is like, oh my goodness. And it's, the, the, the suffering is real suffering, but it's light in comparison to the joy that you experience in that moment because you're so relieved. It's light and momentary in comparison to our eternal and the glory that outweighs them all. I, I have so many illustrations about this. I have so little time though, but let me just, uh, all right, we'll, go to, we'll get to it. Um, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, which is goofy, <laughs> because how can you fix our eyes on what is not seen, right? You go, oh, okay, the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about, but it's saying something pretty profound there. We fix our eyes. That is, we focus, we give attention to, we give preeminence, we give more authority, we give greater weight to that which we cannot see, the work that God is doing in our heart, the glory that he's building in others. Now, I just, I'm gonna do this, but on what is unseen. The unseen is the glory that God is producing in our hearts, the glory that God is producing. The kingdom is coming. When I was, uh, let, me, let me share with you, uh, a br- and I gotta do this super brief. Um, I was a little guy, and when I was a little guy, an older man came into the room that I was in. He locked and double locked the door, and horrible things happened. Terrible, soul-crushing, uh, evil, awful, sexuality-confusing things happened that day. It cracked my soul. Now come up to that kid, he's a little guy, and go, hey buddy, don't worry. Light, temporary. You see the tension of that? But now I'm the 46-year-old guy. I couldn't see that it was light and temporary then. But let me tell you, I can't tell you how many women and men and young people who have come to my office and have talked about older people going into a room and locking and double locking and me being able to go, me too, you too, me too, and us weeping together. And I go, now that was evil. That's always going to be evil. That's always going to be punishable. That's always awful. And, 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 and God doesn't make that moment. That moment is never going to be good. But God is producing a good. He's producing a peculiar glory so that I can 
enter into the suffering of others and relieve the suffering that they have. Because the scriptures say that no matter what we go through, no matter what we go through, that God is working it for the good. Even a moment like that. You go, I don't buy that. I don't, I, listen, listen, beloved. If you could be with the people that I'm with. I'm not saying God caused that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God made that happen in order for me to be a better counselor to other people. What I'm saying is that the evil that's happening, the suffering that took place, God is doing something weighty in me. He's doing something glorious in me. And it doesn't have to be about me, but he's doing it in me anyway. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so, listen, um, longest, dearest friend of mine. I've known him since the very first day of first grade. How many friends do you have from the very first day of first grade, right? And so we've known each other literally for 40 years. I don't remember life without him. And so... um, Every day, he would pray as a little boy. He prayed, God, would you please bring Papi? Um, that means father in Spanish. He's Puerto Rican. I'm Puerto Rican. Um, so he goes, would you bring Papi home? I want Papi to come home. Papi's not in the house. He wants to bring Papi home. And every day he prayed that, and he thought that God hated him, that he wasn't worthy to have a father, so God must be against him because what God would say no to a request like having a poppy come home. And so he he prayed that and he thought that his whole life. In fact, that moment, that idea that God hated him and wanted nothing to do with him, that literally set the trajectory for his life. He made that assertion about God. And and so um, he got older. And after a lifetime of using drugs and doing awful things and living the life that I just explained to you that I live, he uh, had a conversation with his sisters many, many, many years later, several decades later. And, and he was saying, he was talking to his sister about Jesus. She was like, ah, I'm not so sure. And he was like, well, you know, I used to think that because Papi never came home. I used to pray that Papi would come home and he never came home. And he told her the story that I just told you. And then she, she goes, you really did that? She goes, yeah. She goes, you know, I used to pray that Bobby would never come back home. Because there were things that were happening. There were things that were taking place that couldn't be explained to a six-year-old boy. And so God was merciful. And he couldn't see the weighty glory that God was producing in protecting his sister and showing him that he had a father that would never run, never leave, and never forsake. So what do you do with this? What did I just say? I said, I just said if, if, you're, you know, if you're forgetful, it's, God is with you in suffering. That's what I want you to remember. God is with you in suffering. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice something. I want you to um, run through, this is what you can do. Here's how you can develop your faith muscles 
to grow in trusting that God's word is true. I want you to run through past suffering through the grid of God is with you in suffering. You know what we call that? Glory. God is with you in suffering. Run through your past, and maybe for some of you, you need to run through your present suffering through that grid. That just because you don't see the pain, just because you don't understand the suffering, just because you don't have all the answers to all of your questions, just because it seems so impossible, but it's the rape of a little boy. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's tough. God is doing something heavy. It's weighty. He's doing something eternal. Run through your past suffering, through that grid, so that when you go through future suffering, you might be reminded of what God taught you here. So we respond in several ways. I've just given you one way of responding, and that is run the lens of your, run the grid of your suffering. Run your suffering through the grid or through the lens of God's glory, what he's doing in you and through you and for others. Run, run your suffering. That's our, another way to respond is to be reminded that God himself did not, was not glib about your suffering, but in fact came down and suffered for you. So not only did he suffer for you, but now he can suffer with you. He's there with you. And so we, we have communion reminding us of what Jesus did. He allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. My prayer is that you would receive that. So you're going to have a moment to come up as the Spirit of God speaks to you. But we also have these carpets here. And, and therefore, those of you who would come and, and pray, maybe, maybe God's word spoke to you about your suffering. And maybe you were just angry at God and you couldn't forgive God and this is the first time you come to church in years because of some suffering that happened in the past and you couldn't explain and you couldn't understand why God would allow it. And God brought you here because he loves you and wants to draw you to himself and wants to remind you that Jesus, Jesus says me too as well. And so, we're now going to open a time where we get to pray and ask Jesus. For some of us, it's looking to the past and going, God, I blamed you for that. I'm just, would you forgive me for that? Forgive me for not seeing that you were working some glorious things out in me. For others, maybe you've never seen suffering that way. You've not seen Christ or the gospel in this way. And you just need to come back to Christ. And for others, you're just going through it right now and you just need somebody to pray for you. Someone might come behind you, gently put their hand on your shoulder respectfully and just pray for you. And so, you can respond by taking communion or coming up for prayer as the Lord leads you to come up. You come up as you, as the Lord leads. God bless you.